0: Hello everyone and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. The topic for today's podcast is substance abuse. While always an issue, substance abuse becomes much more widespread and serious during crises, and this particular crisis offers an especially troubling environment for abuse since so many people are at home. Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by The Standard, a family business united by a shared purpose of compassion for their customers. The Standard's goal is to proactively support companies and their employees for the unexpected by offering benefits such as disability, group life, and voluntary insurance, and more. The standard is also committed to helping employers better understand how substance abuse and mental health affect the American workforce. Their latest efforts, the Behavioral Health Impact Study, aims to educate organizations on building programs and culture that support behavioral health. To learn more about the findings and the standard, visit standard.com forward slash bhpodcast. Our guest today is Dr. Dan Jolivet who started working in the behavioral health field in the 1980s as he was completing a degree in mathematical statistics and wanted to get some hands-on experience in an applied scientific discipline. Dan has held a variety of roles throughout his career. He has worked in inpatient hospitals, residential treatment centers, partial hospitalization programs, intensive outpatient programs, employee assistance programs, and in private practice. He moved into supervision to multiply his impact and began working in managed care soon after that. He joined The Standard as its behavioral health director in 2016 and says his favorite part of the job is still helping people, both claimants and the people on his team, find solutions to seemingly intractable problems. Dan received his bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Washington and his master's degree and doctorate in clinical psychology from Georgia State University. Thank you so much, Dan, for joining us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Our pleasure. What should everyone know about substance abuse?
1: The first thing I tell people is that substance abuse and addiction, it's not a choice. That's what makes this so difficult. And people will ask me, why is this person still drinking or still doing drugs when they've been arrested or they've been put in jail or they've had other tremendous problems? And I point out uh, addiction costs addicts pretty much everything in their lives. You see people lose their their, uh, relationships, their families, their friends, their houses, their jobs, and ultimately a a significant percentage of people with addictions will lose their lives. They'll die uh, from the addiction by overdose or uh, some other uh, uh, death related to uh, their addiction. And it isn't that people don't know that it's bad for them or that they're choosing it or that they're weak or, you know, that it's some kind of moral failing. This is a medical condition that requires treatment. And it's a very difficult problem to resolve. It, it isn't something that people can say, hey, this is bad for you. And the person who's addicted will say, Wow. I get it now and and quit. They'll, <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't work that way, which is why addictions require uh, treatment and uh, people can lose literally everything from them.
0: Yeah, it's really important to, to understand that whenever you have any discussion about substance abuse. I, I know from personal experience, it can be very frustrating when you have someone in your life that has a problem and you want to tell them, you try and tell them, you try and get them help, and it, it just doesn't work. And it's because they really have to have made the decision on their own at some point. Uh, not that you can't assist these people, but it's just you have to understand how hard it is. I want to put this in the context of the workplace. What are employees experiencing in their struggles with substance abuse in the workplace? Well, substance abuse issues have had a
1: tremendous negative impact on the American workplace over the last few decades. According to the most recent uh, government data, which was from 2018, more than 7% of adult Americans have a substance use disorder. Now, that's mostly alcohol abuse, about 73% uh, are abusing alcohol, but it also includes 40% Uh, Of those people are using drugs, uh, which also includes marijuana. So it does include uh, marijuana, which obviously in some states is now legal. Uh, Most people use more than one substance, though. So it's frequently alcohol plus marijuana or opioids. According to our research at The Standard, we found that almost one in four U.S. workers is suffering from either a mental health or a substance use issue. Wow! And uh, you can read more about that on our Behavioral Health Resource Center. Uh, with the people we surveyed, 31% of those people who had s- serious mental health issues also were dealing with an addiction. So, On top of having a mental health problem, they're also addicted or uh, using alcohol or drugs. In our survey, the most common uh, substance use issue, uh, as with the uh, nationwide data, is alcohol. 57% of the people we uh, surveyed were struggling with alcohol. Uh, The next most frequently abused substance were opioids. Uh, And the thing is, as I kind of implied before, substance abuse issues impact literally all aspects of a person's life, including their work and productivity. In our survey, we found that 45% of workers have been or know someone who's been less productive at work because of a substance use issue. And almost the same percentage, 44% of workers we surveyed have missed or know someone who's missed a day of work because of an addiction. And this is true across every industry and across different generations. Part of the the reason this is such a, a difficult Uh, problem to address in the workplace is there's a lot of stigma and fear about uh, discussing substance abuse issues in the workplace. And we think, I think a lot of times people People believe stigma is getting better, that uh, there aren't as many negative stereotypes and as many negative beliefs around uh, mental health and substance use. But that really isn't the case when it comes to substance use and alcohol and drug use. In in our survey, we found 68% of employees told us they would not feel comfortable asking their employer for help with a substance abuse issue. And their main concern was that they would get fired. Uh, And and that seems uh, to be a realistic uh, concern in that a third of the people we surveyed said that either they've been fired or they know someone else has been fired because of a substance abuse issue. So substance abuse is still really seen in a very, very negative light in our society, and and that leads people to conceal it even more
0: than they uh, otherwise would. Yeah, it's my understanding that really any kind of crisis will result in larger amounts of well, of a lot of problems. You know, we're seeing larger amounts of domestic violence, um, mental health concerns, and of course substance abuse. And then the pandemic is kind of unique in that everybody's home; they're out of the eye, or a lot of people are home, I should say. They're out of the eye of their employer. So, what insights have you found about how the global pandemic is affecting substance abuse for workers? Well,
1: uh, probably not surprisingly, it's making these problems much worse. Uh, First, we know that people are buying a lot more alcohol uh, since the government stay-at-home orders. Uh, Initially, we thought that might be because people were stockpiling alcohol but uh, it, it has, uh, the pace has kept up and even increased. Uh, we first uh, saw this back in April when uh, the alcohol sales for March were released and they were 55% higher than they were in 2019. Then in May, we found that online alcohol sales were 500% higher than they had been in 2019. And again, those trends have continued over the, the past few months even more worrisome. There was a survey by alcohol.org and they surveyed uh, American workers around the country and found that one in three uh, said they were more likely to drink during work hours while working remotely. And one third said they are drinking more than they were prior to the pandemic. So it's really probably no surprise if you're working at home, you, you likely have more easy access to alcohol, and there's no one there watching you. So it's much easier to drink, and uh, it uh, looks like about a third of Americans are drinking during work hours. With drug abuse, it's kind of a different situation. We know that addiction is, in large part, a disease of isolation. And the stay-at-home orders have led to many people feeling isolated uh, and lonely. So there's a lot of uh, concern that this is increasing the likelihood of uh, drug misuse. We uh, got uh, word of, I think, about a month ago, More than 40 states have reported increases in the overdose deaths related to opioids since the start of the pandemic. And the stay-at-home orders have also disrupted many people's recovery since they can't uh, attend their in-person self-help support groups. As a result, there are a lot of concerns that people who've been sober and off drugs are at high risk for relapsing. We see our job as the disability insurer to is to try to help employers identify people who are at risk for substance use conditions and to get them help before they become disabled. Besides that, I think it's also important to know that alcohol and drug use conditions often occur alongside medical conditions, and that complicates people's uh, situation and delays their recovery. Uh, We did some research back in 2017 where we found that it's relatively common for someone who goes out on a disability leave for a physical condition to then develop a comorbid mental health or substance use condition. For example, if someone goes out on disability leave for a back issue and then they're staying home during the day, watching TV, sitting on the couch. They may start drinking. Uh, they're at very high risk for an alcohol use disorder. They may also be at high risk for anxiety or depression. And then that will lead to complications, It's particularly if they don't tell their treating provider that they've started drinking. Because then their doctor doesn't have the whole picture and can't uh, treat them the way they really need to be treated. Uh, Obviously, if you've got uh, an addiction on top of a physical problem, particularly if the uh, medications you're on interact with the alcohol or any drugs you're taking, that requires a lot more uh, careful treatment. And you're essentially treating twice the uh, problems, two times the problems. So it's uh, a, a much more complicated situation. And then if you add in the fear and isolation of the COVID-19 crisis, it's likely that a lot more people who go out on disability for a physical condition are going to develop a co-occurring substance abuse use condition. So that's, you know, again, they're out, they're stuck at home in many cases, they've got nothing to do, they may feel isolated, and that can then lead to uh, an addiction that will derail
0: their medical treatment. I think what we all really want to know is what organizations can do to help their employees with these issues and some of the key strategies uh, that can be employed to address substance abuse issues in the workplace?
1: Sure. And I, I think it's important that we remain hopeful and recognize a, a few key things. One, uh, addiction, substance use disorders are treatable, recovery does occur. And in fact, recovery is the expected outcome. Uh, a majority of people who uh, deal with a substance use issue or an addiction get better. And it isn't a life sentence. Uh, Particularly with treatment, we know that somewhere around two-thirds of people will recover. And even the people who uh, don't have a complete recovery will have periods of stability where they may relapse and get additional treatment. So it isn't a hopeless picture. Uh, The other thing that's important to recognize is that we know what works, and treatment is effective for addictions. So there, there is hope in this situation, uh, and I, I don't want people to, to walk away thinking, well, this is hopeless. Uh, another thing that's important to recognize is that employees want their employers to do more to uh, help with uh, their mental well-being and what we found was that over 90% of workers agree that helping helping employees who have mental health or substance use issues helping them to keep their jobs is the right thing for companies to do and the same over 90% of workers also agree it's in the company's best interests to help those workers so there's a there's a lot of agreement that uh, not only is recovery possible and treatment effective, but that's what uh, employees want. From my perspective, though, the first thing I believe is important is reducing stigma, helping employees with drug or alcohol problems. And there are a number of anti-stigma campaigns available that you can download literally for free off the the web. Uh, There's the Make It OK campaign, which has a step-by-step guide for uh, companies and organizations to implement their program. And what you want to do is uh, utilize education, especially to reduce negative myths and stereotypes. And and help people to realize that stigma is a kind of bias. It's looking at people and seeing them in a negative light when that's really not fair to them. Uh, you also want to teach people to avoid stigmatizing language and instead use inclusive language. So you don't want to call someone a drunk. Uh, you want to say that you know they've got an alcohol use disorder. Uh, you, and, and that's sort of uh, the larger picture is we want to rehumanize people with substance use issues, showing their people, they're they're just people with problems. You know, in the media, people with substance use issues are are overwhelmingly portrayed as being essentially completely defined by their addictions, you know, they're, uh, they're violent, they're criminals, they're out of control. And that creates a, a picture where they're not really complete humans. Uh, one thing that helps with this is sharing information about well-known people who've discussed their struggles with substance abuse, because that way we get to see that well, it, it isn't just uh, an addiction, that they still have uh, strength, they still have successes, they're still able to uh, live meaningful, fulfilling lives. and And that's Tremendously important, especially for the people dealing with substance use issues, because they can get demoralized and feel like they're nothing more than an addict. The uh, sharing of stories and the destigmatizing helps people to feel like they can come forward, they can seek help. And with the stigma, a lot of people don't seek help because they're afraid of the negative uh, repercussions. If an employee does uh, come forward, we know that, uh, well, not only will they get better, but uh, employers have a very uh, important role to play in that, that employer support uh, is really important in early intervention and treatment. And particularly because employers sponsor healthcare benefits, EAPs, uh, the majority of Americans who will receive uh, any kind of addiction treatment, they'll be getting that in part through employer-sponsored benefits. Uh, In addition, employers can provide reasonable accommodations. A lot of people don't realize that addictions are covered under the Americans with Disability Act, and so there are employee protections related to that, and employers need to make reasonable accommodations to uh, help people with addictions do their essential job functions. That that doesn't mean that they can come to work impaired or that uh, they don't have to follow the drug-free workplace policy or the uh, company's alcohol and drug policy, but Employers still need to provide accommodations to help people perform at their best. And appropriate interventions include things like stay at work and return to work services. A lot of times people need uh, to take their breaks at specific uh, times in order to be able to attend a self-help support group either in person or now virtually. Uh, But employers have a really important uh, role in this, and the uh, National Institutes of Mental Health and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health uh, Services Administration, both large government agencies, have called on employers to step up
0: and help people cope with uh, the uh, difficult problems of addictions. It seems to me like one of the most challenging things is, even before the pandemic is identifying uh, those that have substance abuse problems because of the great lengths they take to hide it, not just from people in general, but especially and specifically from management and leadership. It's my understanding that, you know, they tend to be the last people in an organization who knows when, meanwhile, that person's coworkers may have known for years, you know, that someone has a, a substance abuse issue. So the question is, What should managers and organizational leaders be looking for when they're trying to identify substance abuse scenarios amongst employees?
1: that's a great question it's also a great point that uh, managers are often the last to know Uh, i I think first in order to be able to address it managers have to be familiar with their company's materials around this including their their benefits uh, or is there an employee assistance program or eap do they have a healthcare navigation service that will help people find appropriate treatment and of course being clear that their health insurance benefits cover uh, addiction treatment and uh, what kind of benefits are available. So managers need to be aware of that so that they can share appropriate resources with uh, their their, uh, teams. They've also got to be familiar with the company's alcohol and drug policies, including their uh, drug-free workplace policy and drug testing procedures. And finally, they also have to know how to address requests around ADA, including who to contact within the the organization when ADA issues are raised by employees. And it's important to realize that uh, the uh, ADA applies not just when someone says they've got a medical condition and they need... uh, uh, accommodation in order to continue working also applies when there's a suspicion that a person has a problem that would be covered under the ADA and they need accommodation or if it's reasonably apparent so if the manager knows for example that someone's struggling with an addiction they don't have to wait for the employee to say hey I need help Um, the ADA really requires them to consider what they can do to help the person cope. So from my perspective, the best managers realize that their employees may be dealing with issues that they aren't sharing, including addiction. And so they're always open to that possibility whenever they have identified an issue with an employee. So, for example, every time they meet with an employee about any problem a discipline problem, a productivity problem, anything that seems wrong, they come prepared with information about the company's employee assistance program and other benefits or resources that might be helpful to the person coping with a behavioral health condition. And they need to especially be able to tell uh, their employee how to access those benefits. Uh, One of the things I ask the people I manage to do is when they're meeting with an employee to always have the EAP brochure available. If you're meeting face-to-face, to have a hard copy to hand to them. If you're meeting virtually, to have the electronic uh, copy queued up to, to send and share with the employee. Because the last thing you want when you're struggling with addiction or really any kind of behavioral health problem You don't want to have to click through 17 different screens on your company's intranet to find the EAP. You wanna make that as easy as possible for the employee. The other thing that I find is really important and research has shown is really important is reassuring the employee that their EAPs and other benefits are completely confidential, that anything they share with the provider absolutely cannot be disclosed back to the employer. These services are all covered by HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Affordability Act. And so it's a federal offense with huge fines for an EAP or provider to share information about an employee with their uh, their employer. Um, the last thing I always train managers to... Uh, approach these conversations by first focusing on objective behaviors so if for example if you've got someone uh, who is coming in late or calling in with vague uh, complaints if you start you know thinking you're going to talk to them about uh, their attendance any kind of problem you want to also be open to any disclosure the employee may choose to make course we can't require that disclosure and you want to be prepared to offer assistance to the best of your ability so what I do is I start these conversations first by saying something about the objective behaviors that have gotten me concerned you know so you've been arriving late to work and I notice you've called out frequently and at that point I ask what can I do to help well how can I help you get to work on time How can I help you uh, avoid uh, frequent uh, absences or productivity issues? And if at that point they disclose that they're dealing with an alcohol or drug problem, I listen empathetically, listening rather than asking a lot of questions, but trying to hear what's going on from their perspective, trying to understand and realizing that, you know, it takes a lot of uh, courage to share with someone that you're struggling with alcohol or drugs. Um, so, once it's clear what the issue is, at that point, I think it's important to provide reassurances and encouragement and to offer help with finding appropriate options for help. So, this is a great place to tell them, you know, I'm glad you told me about this. Uh, I, I know that uh, it's very difficult and scary. I also know that addictions are treatable, recovery does happen, and I'm here to help you uh, anywhere I can. Uh, On the other hand, if the employee doesn't disclose any issues, you can still always share information about the EAP uh, just in case something is going on. Uh, it's also, I think, important to point out uh, supervisors and managers need to document these incidents carefully and keep their HR department fully in the loop, particularly if you have any suspicion of addiction because that can then trigger ADA protections. And, uh, so you need to talk with your HR department and they can uh, assist you in understanding how to approach this or what we need, you need to do. Uh, Last thing I always say is to to not ignore, minimize problems just because the person's acknowledged an addiction Uh, and don't give them more chances than you would give for any other kind of problem. So, you know, you you can't uh, excuse them for coming into work impaired or hungover. You have to uh, uh, hold them to the same conduct and productivity that other employees are held to. But you can consider accommodations to help them uh, perform their uh, essential job functions. I, I know uh, any time there's a question about a medical condition that might require accommodation under ADA, you have to notice, notify your HR department as soon as that becomes apparent and follow their guidance, because there are a lot of legal rules and regulations around that, and uh, you, you absolutely don't want to do anything uh, incorrect around that, uh, because there are significant fines, and we read in the news about litigation uh, leading to huge settlements, uh, literally on a a weekly
0: basis. I spoke with a couple uh, other professionals about this uh, a couple years ago. And one of the things that they said that always stuck with me, and I mentioned it before on the show, so bear with me listeners for repeating myself, but it was the concept that someone with a substance abuse issue will have lost everything in their life, their family you know, that they can't handle their situation anymore. Uh, Perhaps their housing, their friends, basically all of the things except for work and the average amount of time it takes them to lose their job after they've lost everything else was five years, which means that an employee that you have at your organization that's starting to exhibit signs of likely substance abuse may be at the very end of their journey. And that's why it's so important for you to get it right when you go to help this person, absolutely. And I,
1: I, I think that's good. that's right on the money. That uh, people do everything they can to hang on to their jobs. And I, I've. Uh, heard of people who are not not just divorced and estranged from their families, but have literally been evicted, lost their homes, living in uh, a car or living on the street, but still come into work. And there, I, I've heard stories about people who their bosses don't realize that anything's going on until they catch them bathing in the, the company bathroom because they're homeless uh, and unhoused at this And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Well, one is people really, we need schedule, we need structure, we need to have some sense of normalcy and the the job for a variety of reasons, for the the income, for the social contact, for the sense of being a productive person. That's something people hold on to very, very tightly. And at the same time, you know, they they hide this from their employers for three main reasons. One is the denial, the belief that there really isn't a problem. I think we've all heard, you know, you see it on TV, people saying, you know, I, I can handle uh, this I, I can stop drinking or using anytime i want to and that right. that's really a significant problem with addictions that uh, people don't recognize you know it's like a a blind spot for them they think they can can handle it. But second to that is shame. And shame uh, seems to be intrinsic to really all behavioral health conditions, but particularly addictions. And we tend to believe, or people who are addicted tend to believe that they're bad or weak, that somehow it's their fault. And you know, when you're ashamed of something, you do what you can to conceal it. And then, as I said before, there's stigma—the fear that others will see them differently, treat them differently, uh, and especially the fear that they may may be uh, fired because of it. We found in our uh, recent research that particularly healthcare workers and teachers. Are particularly worried about being fired if it's uh, found out that they have a substance use issue. Uh, teachers, it makes sense because they're, you know, in, in generally in drug free zones, and no one wants someone with an alcohol or drug problem around kids. Uh, healthcare workers, I was actually completely surprised by that because mm. healthcare workers should know i mean i would expect most healthcare workers to realize addictions are medical conditions they're diagnosable medical problems that require treatment it's not that they're bad or weak or anything like that and, and i would also think healthcare workers would be more aware of the fact that addictions are covered under the americans with disability act so you, someone can't be fired just because they've got an addiction or an alcohol drug problem, you know, they they can be fired if they come into the office impaired. But just having a problem uh, is not a, a, a legal basis for uh, discharging someone. So it was really surprising to me that uh, healthcare workers are afraid around of, uh, of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen. Uh you know, people in scrubs smoking cigarettes yep. <laughs> outside of the hospitals. And it's the same kind of thing, you know, it's, uh, it's cause we're they're humans and we're all humans and we're going to have human foibles. Yep. I, I actually used
1: to do some work in a, uh, an impaired physicians program in, uh, uh a, a hospital and it was all for physicians who had, uh, addictions and, uh, mm. uh we, see a lot of anesthesiologists who become addicted. And, uh, you know, obviously it's a very serious issue and uh, they have to be very highly monitored. But, uh, you know, you put someone in a very high stress uh, situation like uh, a hospital, uh, anesthesiologists, as you probably know, are the provider who's doing the most risky procedure, people die yeah. more from anesthesia often than from uh, the surgery, and uh, then they have access to the drugs. So it's, it's very easy to see how uh, uh, addictions can flourish, um, but the fact that we keep them in the shadows and you know, sort of shrouded in, in shame
0: and stigma uh, just makes things that much worse. Well, Dan, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, hopefully getting a lot of helpful information to employers because it looks like there's a lot of work to be done.
1: There is. there. There's a lot of work, but luckily, again, we know what to do. We know what works, and if we all pull together, we can move in the right direction. So I, I remain hopeful and optimistic and uh, we'll, we'll get through this uh, difficult
0: time and get back on track. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate it and uh, enjoy talking with you, Chip. Yeah, me too. You're most welcome. Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what we should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HRWorksPodcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.